0: to another edition of Turned Out of Punk, your weekly show where I, Damien Abraham, interview someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my gosh, this is one I've been waiting for for a long time. Allison Baker, legendary guitarist of... Teen Cred Combo, the coolest band ever from Toronto As established on this show But also plays in Dirty Ghosts Formerly of Shuttlecocks More on that in a second But first, if you want to get in touch with me Head over to damienabraham.com. There's an email address there You can send me an email You can also find me on various platforms of social media If you need to get in touch with me In the immediate At left for Damien On those things there You can also go over to Facebook.com And there's a Turned Out of Punk Facebook page You can like that Send a message. It's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. He'll get the message to me. You can also find on Facebook.com Turned Out a Punk page, all sorts of cool stuff that we post on there. That get sent into the show and people comment on it and you can be involved in that. But if you don't use Facebook like me, we also have turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com where we post all the same stuff sort of stuff. If you would like to support this show, you can go over to iTunes.com and you can subscribe and write a review and rate this podcast. If you do not use iTunes, you can just tell your friends and let other people know that you enjoy this thing and help spread the word that way. But if you notice while you're on iTunes, we do have some other podcasts in the Turned Out a Punk family. First of all, there's Turned Out a Punk Footnotes, which is hosted by myself and my good friend, and your good friend, Chris O'Toole, and each week we dissect an episode of Turned Out of Punk, the most current episode of Turned Out of Punk, and we uh, get really nerdy. We talk about discographies, we talk about other bands, it's uh, it's like a, a master's class for Turned Out of Punk. <laughs> we also have, in part of the Turned Out of Punk network of shows, Clobberin' Time, which is hosted by Tom Bryan and myself, and each week we take a look at wrestling, well, it's Hasn't been each week. It's kind of every few weeks right now, but it's going to get back on a schedule real soon. We also have tons of guests from the worlds of music on there to discuss their favorite wrestling memories and talk about current wrestling. Basically, if you like wrestling, you will love that show. Also starting next week, in the Turned Out of Punk feed, you will find Oil and Flowers, which is a show hosted by myself and Buddha Blaze, who is the tour manager for A Tribe Called Red. And it is a show dedicated to cannabis. So if you're one of those many people that writes me in to Turned Out of Punk to ask questions about weed and cannabis and all sorts of that stuff, just listen to Oil and Flowers. That'll be the show to kind of handle all of those things. Woo! Woo! Things are kind of getting hectic over here at Turned Out of Punk headquarters. We're getting a lot of shows on there, but don't worry. We're going to just keep them in the Turned Out of Punk feed for the first little bit, then they'll get their own feeds and become their own little shows. So if you just like Turned Out of Punk and you're like, ah, this is getting so cluttered, then don't download any of the other ones. Just download Turned Out of Punk and turn of Punk footnotes. And if you smoke weed, oil and flowers. And if you enjoy wrestling, clobbering time. And we've got more stuff coming. I swear to God, I'm just going to keep making these podcasts. Uh, Also, um, uh, yeah, that's about it for right now. That's all I got to say about that. On to today's show. Today on the show, I have a guest that I have wanted to have on the show for, my gosh, some time. She has come up... uh, at least half a dozen times on other shows in reference to the importance she had in various people's lives and also how cool she is. The person I'm talking about is Alison Baker, a uh, guitar hero from the band Teen Crud Combo. Now, Teen Crud Combo are a band from Toronto. We've had Nick Flanagan on, who was the lead singer of that band, and uh, they were around for not a very long period of time, but they were the coolest punk band in Toronto at that time and really one of the the first aspirationally cool Toronto punk bands and I I know some people are gonna be what what no there are other bands there were other and there were there were other bands but at that time I don't know they were like the Drake of Canadian punk um and <laughs> it's got a lot of baggage but it's very apropos when you listen to this episode but they were the band that that really I don't know, for me, you know, I could kind of wave them like a flag and be like, "Tigre Combo is from my town. How cool is that? Uh, they were phenomenal live. And, yeah, there's a, there's a great little legacy of records. There's an LP and a 7-inch that you can go out there and check their stuff. And then, of course, the band members went on to do other things, you know, like, uh, well, for instance, Nick Flanagan went on to become part of Brutal Knights, and Allison Baker went on to become part of an amazing band, also called Dirty Ghosts, that um, is playing and touring. They've got records out on Last Gang, but Allison is someone that has always uh, l- like loomed large in the city of Toronto. I can remember, you know, when she'd come back from San Francisco, there would people be like super stoked, you know, because you know she's that cool and so anyway i'm not gonna put her over anymore this is one of those shows though that oh it's a lot of fun so everyone please sit back relax and get ready for one of the best first punk show stories i've ever heard in my life but also for allison baker on turned out a punk (laughs) Allison, someone I've wanted on this show forever. Anyone who's listened to this show for long enough at this point knows that you are one of the ones, one of the ones on the original list that I want to have on the show and you've been identified before on the show by a new, numerous people as one of the coolest people to come out of this shitty scene in Toronto. <laughs> so it's so awesome to have you on. Thank you. Um, but uh, I like we've been talking for Hours at this point off air. Yeah. about a lot of punk stuff, but we've definitely kind of skillfully avoided the stuff we're going to talk about on the show. Yeah, I think we hit on like everything but your story in a punk, which I'm very excited to hear because as I've kind of hinted, there's like so many moments where there's so many things I got to find out about. But anyway, I <laughs> got to start it off the way I start them all off, which is Allison. How did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it?
1: Well. The first time, for me, the way I remember it, it was sort of it was kind of like an evolution. Mm-hmm. There were things that happened in my life that tipped me off to there being this other world that existed beneath the one that I knew about okay um, which started just to kind of go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. It started with a babysitter that I had when, I can't remember how I mean, I was young and I had a younger brother, so I was a little bit older when we still had a babysitter. Yeah, And she had gone away for a summer and she had come back and she was a full-blown deadhead. Oh. <laughs> okay. Full-blown. Full-blown. <laughs> she might have even showed up with no shoes on to my it like,
0: Was it the 90s Grateful Dead resurgence? Yeah, time? it was the
1: early, it was the, actually it was the late 80s. Okay. It was Maybe it was like '80. Eighty nine, okay, maybe something like that. Yeah, because that stuff
0: really came back in the n- early nineties. I remember in a big way. Yeah, okay.
1: yes, in a big way, and um and she, she knew that I w- really was interested in music and I loved music and that was kind of all I cared about. So, and she saw that in me. So I think she tried to like mold me into a little deadhead. <laughs> and so she'd bring me tapes, and I I know this is like the opposite of punk. No, but, but it does... this actually it, yeah. took me there.
0: And, like, Black Flag has shown us that uh, Grateful Dead has some crazy inspirations. And Absolutely. I, myself, am now on a Grateful Dead tribute record, so I'm in no place to catch this. Yes, aspersions.
1: yes, exactly. Any fan of the Meat Puppets would know this as well. Exactly,
0: exactly. SST's secret main influence is probably the Grateful Dead.
1: I believe it. I believe it. So she... Um, she would make me these tapes and bring me T-shirts and stuff like that, and... Um, I listened to the music but and I and I enjoyed it yeah. on a level. I don't think I really connected with it yeah. like on any kind of real emotional level, but the fact that there was this cult of fans and people and this whole traveling world and this band that was you know there's you don't know what they look like. They're I mean, I know they had a video and stuff, but th- it was basically just like this whole underground world yeah. existed and I was really attracted to that, you know, and i that's what I really liked. And I, I think so for the next couple of years, it was like me trying to find that world, but in what was something that spoke to me. Yeah,
0: because that's the thing is the Grateful Dead vibe wise are so much cooler than the music was <laughs> And Absolutely. To Absolutely. Like the skeleton. Yeah. Like weird psychedelic bear. It's awesome. And like, yeah, it's like, oh, if only they sounded like Hawkwind. Exactly. At the end. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um Did you ever go to that Grateful Dead store? I remember at Young and Bloor, No. upstairs, like right by the where the sun rises, there was this weird Grateful Dead store, and the guy had all over the walls what purported to be mm-hmm. Art by famous musicians, but when they were kids, like oh. or they have like Jim Morrison's art from when he was a teenager on the wall, and it was very weird. I it, don't know, it was like an all only Grateful Dead store, crazy. And the, anyway, sorry. I
1: no, never went there, but lots of good head shops back in the <laughs> oh day. Oh my
0: gosh, yeah, some rock variety is still there.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, it's still there. I might go there later today. <laughs>
0: I go there if you need. Beaties or whatever yep. else they sell. still. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but where'd you go from the dead?
1: So um, that was definitely something that like kind of like piqued my mm-hmm. interest. In, and and um, then the Doors movie came out. Mm-hmm. Discovered the Doors and Jim Morrison, who to me was sort of like the first punk guy I could identify as as being mm-hmm. someone who was like really rebellious and just you know.
0: That's very Los Angeles punk kind of perspective, too, because they always identify Jim Morrison. Like, when you read John Doe, anyone writing about, talking about punk, that Jim Morrison was kind of the birth of that spirit totally, in L.A. Totally,
1: totally. And he was, you know, I mean, I think at this point I was probably in grade seven. Yeah. And I was like, man, this guy, this, this Morrison character. <laughs> anyway, so um, not long, maybe like a year after that, and it was kind of the same thing like there was like definitely like an attraction to like the danger of Jim Morrison mm-hmm. and you know but in the Doors music I I liked it and it was cool but I wasn't it didn't <laughs> it wasn't it it wasn't it I was still searching Anyway so one um Hanukkah or Christmas you know for the other my people. wife's Jewish. I
0: know Hanukkah. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I was in Florida with my parents and um, Smells Like Teen Spirit was in heavy rotation that December. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember thinking, I just, I hate this song. I can't stand this video. Everything, like it, every, it was just on all the time and I couldn't stand it. Yeah. And then one day I remember coming home from like shopping with my parents and it was on and Something, uh, something happened where like all of a sudden it was the, the like the complete opposite. I was like, this is it. This is the band. This is what I've been looking for. This is what I've like been searching for. And I became completely consumed with Nirvana or Nirvana, yeah. as you call it here, or whatever. Kurt Cobain. And yeah. I, so I went out and bought every, um, Every magazine that they were interviewed in, like every, every, everything I could get my hands on that had their name on it, I bought. And so Kurt Cobain would always talk about Flipper as being a major influence. So I went out and I bought um, Sex Bomb Baby on tape. And that was, I would say, probably the first like punk rock thing I ever listened to.
0: Where were you buying that tape? You, I guess you could find that at like HMV. HMV. I yeah. bought it at HMV. Yeah. Because that had probably wide distribution and stuff. That's such a cool way to take it. Because he would name drop so many different bands, mm-hmm. and that's probably where ultimately I kind of heard about Sonic Youth, and that would be my kind of gateway. Yeah. But it's it's funny, like you know the paths you got you you know much respect to Sonic Youth, but I think you found the cooler path to kind of take.
1: I honestly, I probably only, I only like. Zeroed in on Flipper because I remember Kirk Cobain was wearing a Flipper shirt on
0: Spin. Was it on the cover of Spin or something? I remember that there's that like he had, it's like fish. magic marker yeah, fish drawing yeah. thing and yeah. So
1: I was just like, well, that must be like the best of all these bands he's talking about. Yeah, I remember it was like the Melvins was one yep. Meat Puppets, um, Flipper, Black Flag, and mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, I was just like, eh, fl- I'm going to go with Flipper.
0: And SS Kurt Chris O'Sullivan would always wear the. uh the SSD shirt mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. It's, it's amazing when you think that how cool that band like they basically laid it all out for kids. Like yep. here's everything you need to know.
1: Exactly. I mean they, they completely changed my life. Yeah. I don't know I don't I mean I maybe I would be somewhere around in the same orbit if they didn't <laughs> exist, but I don't know how I would have got there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because it was that was the, the breaking down of the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could it could bring the pop music entry point to like all these weird other records that were in the record store. Yeah. Like the SST catalog and Flipper like might be maybe the most influential band of all time in a weird way. Cause like they're inspire Rick Rubin to start, you know, doing his thing, which wow. ultimately leads to Def Jam. Yeah. And also like here you are talking about Nirvana too, with it's like, yeah, that's weirdly influential for that band.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like putting that tape on and, you know, just to give you an idea of, like, where I was at the time. Like, I grew up in Forest Hill, which is, like, an upper-middle-class Jewish neighborhood.
0: It's actually referred to as The Bottom now, because that's where <laughs> Drake's from. The,
1: <laughs> this is true. Yep. I have a Drake connection, too, but we can get to that. We can get to that. <laughs> okay. Our, well, I'll tell you now. Drake's Yeah. and my Bubby. We're best friends. Wow! But I never met Drake as a kid because he was a lot younger than me. But her, his booby and I used to play checkers all the time, at <laughs> my booby's house. So
0: Started it. from the booby. Now I'm here.
1: Yep. Exactly. Uh, I, I went to school with
0: Forty, his producer.
1: Really? Yeah. Cool. He went to
0: high school with me. Nice. And stuff. He's in the Virgin Suicides. I didn't know that. That's one of the kids.
1: Interesting. On the quest. I didn't know. I have to watch it again. That's
0: the thing. Is like now, now you know we're we're taking the uh, even though you've lived in America for so long, you can never take the Toronto out of you because no, you have a Drake connection exactly. <laughs> the yeah, the ultimate sign of Toronto. It's A
1: conversation starter. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's a conversation finisher these days because people people love that guy. Oh yeah, he's very popular. He's, yeah, he's like the Dallas Good of this era. He,
1: absolutely. He seems like a very nice guy.
0: <laughs>
1: I get a good vibe from him. I had,
0: he refused to take a photo with me one time when I had to take a photo with him for work, and it was very. He I don't like did, that story. He ultimately did take the photo, but it was very awkward. Hmm. Insanely awkward. Way more awkward than it had to be. That's too bad. But anyway, we're We're ruining this episode by okay, talking too yes. much about my life. Right. Anyway, <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> Anyways, so um,
0: Forest Hill. You were saying you grew up in Forest Hill. I
1: grew up in Forest Hill, and um, my parents sent me to a private Hebrew school. Okay. And so, and it was small, and, I mean, I didn't go to school with anyone who had even the slightest interest in music or really the slightest interest in any, like, a life that maybe their parents weren't sort of pushing them into. And, I, you know, I felt that from my own parents, too, but I don't know why I turned out the way I did but I've sort of always there's always been a part of me that's just you know veered away from that and just wanted to my dad was a drummer like back in the day and I think really? it maybe it's just in my DNA
0: Well, did he play any bands or no he
1: was a, he was like a working jazz drummer wow yeah but then like when he him and my mom got married he was just like I can't Yeah. I can't do this you know I need to like make a living and he you know he went and got you know became a an accountant, and then you know he's just been like a businessman his whole life. So yeah. he's sort of seen. He does. He never wanted me to go down that road because he lived it firsthand. And he's like, I don't, you know, I don't want Allison to like, you know, be struggling in the way that I was. So, mm. so that's kind of, that's kind of where they kind of push me in that kind of direction like let you know let's teach her all these languages and but he must
0: be proud at a certain level too because here you've made you know you've you've made like a a career in music
1: he's yeah he's a little you know there's there's some pride okay there's some pride (laughs)
0: yeah okay good my mom
1: is more proud (laughs) okay
0: good okay but yeah (laughs) okay well tell him to listen listen to our podcast and hear yourself get name dropped a bunch of times you know yep uh but uh Yeah, like, I guess... Sorry, you were saying you were in this small school where everyone's kind of going... Oh,
1: well, you know, basically, I just sort of, like... I grew grew up in this world where there was, like... There was no downtown. There was no counterculture. There was really no... There was nothing outside of our very small little bubble that we lived in. Mm -hmm. So bringing a flipper tape up to my bedroom, (laughs) putting it in a tape deck, and closing the door, and... Listening to that was just, I mean, it was the weirdest thing I'd ever listened to. The weirdest thing. And there's also a track on there. There's like a live track. And I remember I'd I'd listen to that over and over and kind of close my eyes and imagine what it was like being in the room. And that was like the beginning of my, okay, I got to figure out how to get from where I am now to there. (laughs)
0: honest to god Were like was much music a thing for you at that point were you watching any of that stuff or tons yeah
1: tons of much music and um the new music which was a show that they profiled bands yeah um and it then predates
0: much music yeah music
1: yeah and then what was the city limits city limits yeah yep.
0: that also predated much music too yeah they would play great stuff on city limits amazing um it's like it's it's funny to think about back then like yeah like if you waited up late at night mm-hmm. long enough you would see a lot of cool stuff
1: <laughs> oh yeah yeah so that was in city limits i was watching it one night and they showed garbage man by the cramps oh yeah and i w- and that was like another moment where i was just like that's that's <laughs> what i've been like looking for that's like this sound i have that's been in my mind that i wanted to hear that i didn't know existed and now i see that it does exist
0: so had you been playing you hadn't played any instruments at this point or would you
1: no i got i well i i played piano when i was a kid you know my parents like got me playing piano as like an after school thing and you know i didn't i think beyond like learning how to play like rock and robin or whatever (laughs) i was just like this blows i want to get a guitar after After Nirvana came around, I was just like, I want to be that guy. Yeah. I want a guitar. I want to learn how to play. And it just, for whatever reason, it didn't seem out of reach. Mm -hmm. So for my 15th birthday, my parents bought me a guitar.
0: And so by that point, had you been, had you gone to a show at all or concerts or?
1: Um, I started going to shows maybe about two months after that.
0: Okay. So what was your first show? Show?
1: My first show, show was flipper what and the dwarves that's your first show well i mean i saw like shows I, like i saw like shows when i was a kid with my parents well, like,
0: what, was, what was your first thompson one like twins
1: was the first one even that's cool i was young i was very young i was like six wow yeah i saw wham Wow. Huey Lewis. Like, the, you know. Yeah, but these are like
0: cool things for your parents to drag you to.
1: No, yeah. I drag them to the shows. Whoa. Yeah. So you were
0: like, you were already like super into music. Yes. By that age. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So where were you, I guess much music, was that your exposure, radio or
1: Um. Well, or much, parents? Or? Much music, I don't think much music was like really on TV at the time. Yeah. I think you had to have cable. Yeah, you did, yeah. So Toronto Rocks was my exposure. Oh, yeah! Like, which was like a half hour video show, it's after like a school. Show or? I think it was. I don't remember too much, but um, it was like a half hour video show that came on maybe at four thirty in the afternoon, and I'd come home and watch it. and It would just be you know like Duran Duran and Thompson Twins and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Duran Duran was like the you know they were my first. They were kind of like my new kids on the block. <laughs>
0: you yeah which i guess they were for a lot of people but you were on the younger end of that tip of fans yeah yeah um yeah like uh, hungry like a wolf was a that's a classic uh heavy rotation song at that point too yeah definitely and and also i guess uh, being toronto and having that connection to england that stuff i think was more prevalent here than it was in other parts of north america i think so too because like even later on with cfmy they would Fe- feature all these Britpop pop bands that you would never hear of otherwise. Yep. That's I like. agree. So I guess like, so there's no, like you didn't go to a shitty local band before you went to the Dwarves Flipper thing. No. Where'd you hear about that show?
1: Well, I, you know, I, saw so it. I bought this flipper tape and I started yeah. kind of paying attention. <laughs> the way. And I don't know, I, maybe I picked up a Now magazine. I don't know how I found out the okay. flipper was playing.
0: It would have the charts and stuff. Uh, they had the concert listings in Now back then? And maybe. I, yeah.
1: Or maybe it was like I heard it on the radio, yeah. CFNY, something like that. That was like the mainstream alternative. But it was radio
0: great station. back then.
1: It was great. It
0: would play And maybe stuff. they were
1: presenting the show. I'm not sure. Yeah. I somehow found out about the show. <laughs> But there's a great story about this show. Okay. And this was another sort of like, you know, life forming moment that happened at the show. So I went down to the show really early and I got two friends of mine who I went to school with, you know, like v- very nice Jewish girls who had not been to a show before. <laughs> And, um, were
0: they into this music? Had you played no, the flipper?
1: No, 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 oh. I just, I needed a, sh- I needed like chaperones. Yeah, so yeah, I couldn't go down by myself. Yeah, you
0: can't roll solo. No,
1: can't roll solo. So my mom dropped us off at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, mom, I got to get down there early. There's going to be millions of people at the show. They're the biggest band. They're They're huge it talks about exactly they're playing at the opera house way too small of a venue for them and you know i got to be the first one in line (laughs) because i'm only like four foot eight and i have to be able to see the band yeah so my my mom drops us off and we get there and there's no one there the door's locked like the band's probably you know just just (laughs) crossing the border um So after maybe about an hour of sitting there, the door swings open to the opera house outside and this guy walks out and he's wearing, I remember this like perfectly in my mind. He's wearing a white t-shirt that I remember being filthy (laughs) and black pants, black converse and he had kind of like shaggy hair down to his, down to his shoulders and he looked at us and he started laughing. Not, But not in a mean way, in like a, what? Like, what? Is, what am I... What's happening right now? And he's like, what are you girls doing here? We're like, oh, we're here to see Flipper. And by the way, I was wearing my Flipper shirt that I drew with a marker, my Doc Martens, and I think I might have had a plaid shirt tied around my waist. By <laughs> might, I mean I did. <laughs> so... The guy comes out, asks us, like, you know, who who are we? What are we doing here? What's going on? And uh, so, you know, we explain that we're here to see Flipper. And he said, well, my name is Blag, and I play in the opening band called The Dwarves. And I remember thinking... The Killer Dwarves, because I remember their <laughs> yeah. videos would play on TV. Where they make
0: the record in the microwave. Yes, I exactly. Yeah. So I was like,
1: "Is this the guy from the Killer?" So, but maybe I, I wasn't sure. So he was like, "Hey, you know, uh, my my bass player and I are going down to the pizza place on the corner. Do you girls want to come with us?" And um, we were like, "No, we don't want to leave. We we don't want to lose our spot in line." <laughs> But we were also frightened. So yeah. we, didn't want to, we also didn't want to go with them. So he wouldn't take no for an answer. And he was like, No, no, you, you should come with us. Don't worry about your spot. You're not going to lose it. We had no excuse. Yeah. So he's like, I'll just walk you in. Don't even worry about it. Come on, girls. Let, let's go. I'll buy you a slice. So we follow him into the pizza place and we're all, we're all nervous and we're scared and we're just like, What's going on? And the bass player, comes in and joins us and sits down and it's the same thing. His eyes open really wide and he's just like, like, who are these? What is going on? So one of my friends who I brought with me had like a full mouth of braces and the other girl had an emergency pack of Melba toast in her front pocket just in case. I'm not sure in case of what, but just in case. I'm not, yeah. So the bass player... Is sitting there, and he's, like, looking at us. So the bass player turns out to be Nick, Nick Oliveri. Oh, yeah, he was in that lineup. Yes, who went under the name of Rex Everything. Yeah. And I remember he looked at my friend who had the Melba toast, and he slowly reached over and p- <laughs> pulled it up really slowly and, like, looked at, looked at Blagg and, like, put it back down and was just like, is this... <laughs> what's, what's going on? Anyways, he called her Little, little Miss Melba for the rest of the night. <laughs> but they were... They were completely fascinated with us. Yeah. They were just like, what, where are you girls from? Like, what is the story? How, how are you here? Why are you here? We talked about 90210. I think they were trying to, like, relate to us. Yeah. So They were, my friends were 14. I was 15. So after we ate the pizza, they were like, okay, well, we have to sound check now, and we have to do, like, a very quick radio interview. So why don't you girls just come with us? Just come hang out. Like, let's just, you know, sit with us. We're like, okay. We felt more comfortable around them because they had talked about 90210. Yeah. We're like, these guys are <laughs> yeah, cool. these guys are good guys. Yeah, they're cool. They watch they watch Bev. It's fine.
0: Just before we, we leave 90210, because it's the best story ever, but I just want to... Did it blow your mind when the cramps played on 90210? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: okay, me too. That, that'll
1: that never fucking... happen again.
0: What <laughs> a fucking crazy That was crazy. Kid. Kid.
1: And the flaming lips.
0: Yeah, the flaming lips. But even just like, meaning like to be aware of the cramps and then to have them just show up on 90210 when... Very weird. Very weird. <laughs> but anyway, back to the best story I've ever heard. So,
1: So, anyways, they walk us into the opera house, and they had to do a college radio interview, and there was a guy that was waiting sort of around the side of the building by, like, a fire escape ready to interview them. And so Blag turns to us and is like, all right, girl, so I got to do this interview, and I don't really feel like doing it, so you guys are going to come with me, and I'm hoping that maybe you guys can do most of the talking, because you're far more interesting than me. So we're like, okay. So we follow him, and there's a guy sitting outside with like a little tape deck and a big, like, throw of curly hair and glasses. And it turned out to be someone who I met later in life named Simon, who played in a band called Starkweather. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. And Simon was in college and he was working for the college radio station and he was interviewing the dwarves. Yeah. So he tried to interview them and. Most of the interview is just us talking. Yeah, we're talking about like going to camp and this and that. And I have the interview. By you the way. have the interview. I do. I have it. I have it on my computer at
0: home. Why hasn't this not been put out? I don't know. I don't know record. what to do. I sent
1: it to Blag. I was just like, you won't believe what I got a hold of. Simon, <laughs> <laughs> Simon. 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 Like, sent it to me. So, anyways, we um, we finished doing the interview, which we completely just annihilated. Like. later felt very bad about. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's painful to listen to. I gotta hear this. Yeah, it's, it's bad. And, um, and so they, they do their sound check, or maybe we left for the, I can't, maybe they didn't sound check, I can't remember, but we definitely did not see them play. Yeah. But we hung out with them until the start of the show. So, when the dwarves were getting ready to hit the stage, we were like.
0: Was there no local that day? Nope. Okay. No, nope.
1: <laughs> and I have to say the Opera House, which how many people do you think that place holds? Uh,
0: I think I think I know it's like I think it's a thousand when it's all capacity, or maybe it's like maybe twelve hundred even all capacity.
1: Okay. Yeah. There was probably thirty people at that show. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Just the first little floor and some yeah, spattering exactly, in the back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There was no one there, so which I didn't understand. Yeah. I couldn't understand. So. The dwarves were getting ready to start, and they let us sit on the side of the stage, and we were excited. We we're like, "Okay, we're finally gonna get our, see our friends perform." We have no <laughs> idea what they're like. This is so exciting, and um, how fun, you know? So the three of us, are, the three of us are sitting there, and all of a sudden, it's like one, two, one, two, three, four, and then it just it's the full assault of the dwarves. Yeah,
0: like in their prime.
1: Yes, music I couldn't even I couldn't even comprehend what was going on. I'd never heard anything that fast. Yeah. Never heard anything that loud. And there was a girl, I'll oh, I'll never forget it. There was a girl standing like kind of front and center and Black grabbed her head and just kind of pushed it into his crotch. <sighs> and she was into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he just kind of started like rubbing on her and, and my girlfriends and I looked at each <laughs> other and we ran. We ran. We actually we didn't walk. We ran to the back of the club, and we were horrified. We were so scared. We're like, "Oh my god! These guys! These guys These guys are not what we thought they were." Yeah. They're they're you know we got to stay away from these guys. Bad news. So they finished playing, and we're just we're trying to basically spend the rest of the night trying to, like, not find them, have them not find us, avoid.
0: Was that the one that we also, didn't they pee into a a kiddie a pool on the stage of that show? Not or, not at that okay. show. Okay. Not at that show. Okay. I would
1: have remembered that. Okay, I
0: thought there was some other crazy thing that happened at that show, because I've heard story of their opera show in Toronto being one of the most legendarily insane Toronto from Glenn Salter. Glad you know what? It c-
1: it. I, I, yeah, totally. You know what? It actually could have happened. We might have left the room because we were just so scared. Yeah, like I think that did, maybe was that we true. were so scared. <laughs> oh so, my God. so Flipper played, and it was, you know, it was fine. It was cool. I mean, they p- put out a record at the time that wasn't great.
0: It, was it on like uh, America too? It was on
1: Deaf America. Deaf America because yeah. Rick Rubin. Yep, oh, and God. it was very. It was the yeah. He produced the album yeah. also. But yeah, it was definitely a different thing that it, you know, different guys in the, or those three of the original guys. Um, so when the show was over, the dwarves found us and they took us to their merch table and they just started giving us merch. They gave us (laughs) posters. They signed them. They're like, here, you guys should have these. (laughs) Gave us their albums. And they're like, hey, um, so what are you girls doing now? There's like a flipper after party and you guys should come hang out. Come to the party with us. And I was like, oh, let me just talk to my friends about it for a second. And we turned to each other and we're like, no, there's no way. There's no way we're going to this. No, no way. No way. Just what What should we say? Like, let's make up some lie or whatever. So um, one of the girls, the one with the mouth full of braces, she lived with her father who didn't impose any sort of a curfew on her. So we could stay out all night.
0: Wow. So that's what you guys were planning on. Like, you guys... Because I was going to say what was your plan? Were we were supposed to pick you up. We something?
1: had no plan. Basically it was just like take a cab back to her house or whatever. As far as my parents knew we were going to the show and we were going back to Erica's house and yeah. we were going to like you know watch a movie and get in our sleeping bags or whatever. But you know once <laughs> oh my, my God. once my mom dropped us off it was just like all right the night begins. <laughs> and so we told we told um so I turned to Blag and I said yeah, you know, uh, we can't come to this after party. We're just we can't do it. And he's like, "Why?" I was like, um, "Because we're, you know, we're really hungry and we want to go get a bite to eat. You know, we're gonna go go to Golden Griddle and get some food." And he's like, "Great, we're hungry too. Let's all go to Golden Griddle. You guys can ride in our van. We'll just drive you there." And we're like, "Oh my oh. god! Oh my god! We cannot get away <laughs> from these guys." So we went to Golden Griddle, and it was like it was me. Erica, Lauren, my two friends, all the dwarves, and they're maybe like two roadies. And we hung out at Golden Griddle from like two in the morning until four in the morning, and we had the best time with them. Really? We had a great time. They were not, because we sort of got to spend time with them a yeah. little bit. They were not creepy. They were not, you know, in a, well, inappropriate i don't know that's subjective yeah. but yeah. i remember there was like one point of the night where blag and the guys in the band were laughing and blag was like okay i'll, I'll play it for her and he's like alison come here. i want to play you something and he takes me over to a payphone and he calls his answering machine in san francisco and he plays me a message of like a woman having an orgasm into the phone <laughs>
0: So a little inappropriate.
1: A little inappropriate, but this is all stuff they were laughing about yeah, at the table, and I was yeah. like, what's so funny? Yeah, yeah. And he was like, do you want to know? And I was like, I do. So so,
0: w- so I guess it was, like, not to say shtick, but it it's like a performance. Yes. And stuff. Okay. You mm-hmm. know, I never knew that. Yeah. Even as now. I yeah. was always like, I wonder what those people are like as people.
1: They were good guys. Yeah. They were good guys. And, you know, like I said, there was maybe some inappropriateness, but the, they were... They were 25. Yeah. They were 25. So, and they're having fun. And I think that they looked at us and they were just like, this is probably going to be the most exciting night of tour because when does this ever happen? Yeah. We're hanging out with like three 15-year-old Jewish girls from like the <laughs> other end of town who have never been to a show.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: their eyes are wide open. And the
0: scariest night of their lives. Scariest
1: <laughs> night of their lives. Yeah. And Blag still is a good friend to this yeah. day.
0: Well, I knew you were friends with them, and I had no idea that's where the friendship came from. I thought it was just like uh, because they didn't come back for like a a long time. They
1: didn't. No, and when they came back, I walked up to Blag and I said, "I've got to tell you something crazy." so Had I you been in remember. communication with them and you hadn't been able to say, oh, I guess they didn't really tour. They weren't around. Yeah, they,
0: that sub pop thing fell apart that and then they didn't do much yeah. until the Epitaph picked yeah, them up. Yeah, that's again.
1: right. And that's when they toured again. Yeah. And that's when I saw Blag and I was just like, I was that girl. And he's like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And that's where we became friends more as adults. I mean, I was pro- probably 20 at the time. Yeah. But, you know, enough of an adult that. I got his number I, when I moved to San Francisco. I called him, and yeah, that's,
0: the rest is history. That's amazing. Yeah, man. like what a wow! And that explains so much. What a great story of how to get into this music, and yeah. then like, you know, like that music. I guess that you found what you were looking for. I
1: found it. Yeah, yeah. and I remember after that show, I remember lying in bed trying to s- fall asleep. It was probably, like, 6 in the morning, and I had so much adrenaline pumping through my body that I had never felt anything like that before. Yeah. And I was just like, I just want a repeat of that over and over, you know?
0: And then you were like, I guess I'm going to have to build it because there's nothing like that in Toronto. Nope. Nope. <laughs>
1: but it was, like, it was trying to trying to find a way to, whether it was me starting a band Mm -hmm. or going to see a band, but I really hanging out with them at the time was kind of about inserting myself into these kinds of situations where I was just like, where I was hanging out with these, where I was in that world more so than watching it from afar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was really, you know, that had a really big impact on me because I think it really drove me to do things like that where I was really getting involved with people and scenes and things going on at a young age.
0: So where did you kind of go from that? Like, I guess, what's your, like, next point where you're like, how did you try and find entry
1: um, beyond that dwarves thing? Okay, so maybe I started going to shows, started going to shows at the Opera House, yeah. started seeing familiar faces, Max McCabe being one that I saw all the time. Yeah. Well, I was going to a lot of, like, indie rock shows yeah. and a lot of local bands. and.
0: Well, I was also in Toronto, it was like the scenes had had bred together so much by that mm-hmm. point, like indie rock, and, and I, I guess what the time was indie rock, but like Hockey Teeth and Grasshopper would play together. Exactly. On the regular and yep. stuff.
1: Yeah, and and local bands were, you know, kind of heroes to yeah. the kids at the time. Like Derek from Grasshopper was a celebrity in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all these guys were.
0: Yeah, and I guess because we had, like, such a strong local music media, mm-hmm. like, CFMY would play these bands. Yeah. And, like, you could read about them in I and Now, so they became larger-than-life
1: people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just living here and the amount of exposure you get to sort of all the Canadian bands, it's like, that's kind of what's going on. Yeah. So, um, so by this time, I was probably 16. Okay. Um, 16 going on 17. And I'd been, you know, learning how to play the guitar, and I met a girl at Forest Hill Collegiate, which was the high school I went to, which was kind of the same thing. It was, like, a lot of upper-middle-class Jewish kids. Yeah. There was, like, there was some out, you know, some groups of kids that were not a part of that, like, neighborhood scene.
0: Because you and me are the same age. Do you remember Punch Magazine, the free
1: newspaper? Kind of. Toronto? Kind of.
0: It was, uh, it was the pre-Canada land. Jesse Brown, who famously does Canada Land now, which is ex- what exposed John Gomeshi and all that—it's his thing.
1: Okay. Afterwards,
0: but uh,
1: I kind of remember that, that punch.
0: Was, yeah, punch, and they did an article about Forest so Hill Collegiate saying that it was Toronto's public private school because of like the administration there was so strict.
1: Yeah. And stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And it was
0: every, It was like you know certainly a good high school. Like as far as everyone would get into universities, kind of out of that school type mm-hmm. thing
1: too. Yes. Absolutely. So, there was a group of kids who hung out smoking outside, and I just felt some attraction to them. <laughs> yeah. And I just kind of started hanging out with them. I was like, ah, oh, it's just something about this guy's, like, weird, like, long jacket, duster jacket. And the- Anyways, they were all, uh, like, Serbacration, Yugoslavian, whatnot. Okay. And one of them was this girl named Deanna Eric. Okay. And she was a year younger than me. She must have been six feet tall, gorgeous, <laughs> really sweet, cool. And her and I just really hit it off and we became best friends. And she was good friends with a guy named Jaime who played in a band called Project Nine.
0: Oh, our pre show conversation there about Project Nine. Yep.
1: So that's how it started for me. Okay. So we started hanging out with the Project Nine guys. Wow. And going downtown and then we started going to the shows the smaller shows that the like local bands were playing that wasn't you know, wasn't like the grasshoppers yeah. and like that. It was like more sort of like the smaller Yeah. Kind of punk bands or indie bands, but
0: like the hockey teeth when Exactly. And exactly.
1: Yeah. So Deanna and I de- decided we're gonna start a band. And she said, Well, we got to find a drummer. So I'm going to ask Jaime from Project Nine if he knows anyone. Jaime was really good friends with this guy named Rob Nielsen, who played drums and hockey yep. teeth. And Rob said, "I'll be your drummer, sure." And that was how we got into the punk scene in so, Toronto.
0: So it was a three piece. At that point.
1: So at that point, it was a three piece. Yeah. And there was a band, a local band that I heard. I heard on C uh, I U T one night. Okay. I was just in my bedroom listening to the radio. Something came on, and it kind of sounded like the cramp, sounded like the gun club, and I just waited patiently to find out who it was, and it was Sucker Punch. Yeah. And they were another band that I followed really closely, and I went to all their shows. Mm-hmm. And there was a girl that I would see at every Sucker Punch show, and she had big, tall spikes, and she wore like bondage pants, and she was always standing at the front, and she was always by herself, mm-hmm. and I was always by myself. And I walked up to her one day and I said, Hey, I, you know, I'm Allison. I see you at every Sucker Punch show. I just, I feel like we should know each other. She's like, Hey, I'm Jamie. Nice to meet you. She was really quiet. She was really shy. And I said, I think probably in the first conversation we had, I said, do you play bass by any chance? And she said, I do. Wow. And I said, "Destiny." yeah. And I said, I, I'm playing, I'm just starting a band right now. And I, Rob from Hockey Teeth was my in yeah. I was like uh, it's me and Deanna we both go to Forest Hill Collegiate and uh, Rob from Hockey Teeth is the drummer <laughs> are you interested and she's like yeah sounds cool and I was like yeah you know we're. I think we're kind of doing like a surfy thing and a punk thing and like a cramps thing and a whatever so that was the beginning of the shuttlecocks and we started yeah. rehearsing like three days later we barely I mean I barely knew Jamie
0: that's how you guys met that's how band.
1: we met oh. Wow. that's how we met I just walked right up to her and she joined the band and then we started rehearsing that was it
0: Sucker Punch is definitely a band that well I guess it's, it's not that they brought you together but it's also they were one of those bands that was so popular locally it felt like they were so big and then they're another band that really you don't hear about it very much at all now. I know
1: I and know they were so good they were so good it's like that stuff still holds up yep absolutely they were a really special band yeah
0: so you I guess shuttlecocks are playing you by that point, you're playing local shows on the regular type thing
1: we are, and Rob really Rob was really important to the band because he was able to just get us on shows immediately, yeah. because of hockey teeth, yeah, and his girlfriend at the time also she played drums in. What were they called? It wasn't Rubber Girlfriend. It was Repeat Offender. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Her name was Jules.
0: Yeah. So... I know Jules because I worked with her at a toy store. Treasure Island Toys.
1: Funny. Yeah. So we kind of got thrown into that whole scene. We were very, very out of place. And people either liked us or really hated us. Yeah. Really didn't like it. There was definitely, like, some serious attitude from people. Yeah.
0: It was very much like Armed and Hammered kind yes. of was the big band in that scene. Yep. Hockey Teeth. Uh, a bunch of fucking goofs were still around, right? For yep. At that point.
1: A bunch of fucking goofs. Um, random Killing. Random Killing, Ulcer. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Dirty Bird. Dirty Bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys uh, were definitely a, a much more um, melodic than I guess
1: Yeah, I yeah. It was... It, yeah, so... And a lot of those guys were into... You know, yeah. what we were doing. Like, I remember that Armed and Hammered covered a Reverend Horton Heat song. Mm-hmm. Those guys were kind of mm-hmm. into that stuff, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But um, then there was, like, some real kind of snobby punk people that were just, like, you know, who are these, like, little assholes, like, that are just, don't don't look like punks and mm-hmm. playing these shows and showing up everywhere and... So there was, like, a little bit of that, but it, you know, didn't discourage us or anything.
0: I wanted to get back, like, not to jump back too far, but where were you getting records by this point? Like, had you started going to Record Peddler, and uh, I guess Record Peddler was, like, the first main spot, and Rotate was already going.
1: I was going to to Rotate, and actually, I had discovered Rotate, because when I went to that Dwarf show, there was a guy who walked out at the end of the show and was wearing a shirt that one of those sub-pop loser shirts, yeah. which I had seen in, you know, Spin, and <laughs> yeah. Tad's wearing one, and or Tad's got a... Whatever, anyway, so I remember seeing that guy, and I ran up to him, and I was like, where did you get that shirt? And he's like, rotate this. I was like, what's that? He's like, oh, it's a record store on Queen Street. And I was just like, okay, remember that. Don't forget it. And I went to rotate for the first time, and it was during, like, the peak of sub-pop being... A thing, a thing. Yeah, and I remember just going in there and just like, Oops, oh, gonna, gonna buy that. Like I bought everything that had Sub Pop on it. Bought a Sub Pop T shirt, Sub Pop patch, Sub Pop Loser shirt.
0: <laughs> buy singles? Were you buying records by that? No records. That? Yeah. No
1: records. I didn't have a record player. No, I
0: know. I was the same CD bound for yep. a lot of the mid nineties.
1: Yep. CDs and tapes.
0: Tapes, yes. A lot definitely of tapes. tapes. Yeah. Definitely tapes, and that was also like the, the format of that scene in Toronto too. Was like every band had a cassette demo tape that you could buy.
1: Yep. Yeah, Shuttlecocks. We did a tape that was... Like, I don't have the Shuttlecocks tape. I got to get the Shuttlecocks tape. I'll have to dub it for you. Yeah, definitely
0: need that. Yeah. Definitely. It's obscure. I know, that is definitely obscure. <laughs> Where'd you record that?
1: Um, we recorded that with some guy who Rob knew.
0: Okay. So, not sure. Yeah, just like some random studio. So, yeah, space. random studio. So, so, were you were you taking guitar pretty seriously by this point already, or not as much?
1: Um, I was and I wasn't. Uh, I think I... I think I was, but it wasn't until the shellcocks ended that I decided that I wanted to go from like, you know, here to here. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted mm-hmm. to establish myself as like a the, guitar player.
0: Yeah, like the guitar player.
1: Uh, yeah, I was really driven to, and I think it was. You know, I never, I never had. It was never in my mind when I was going to shows or playing in bands, any sort of female-male issues, Mm -hmm. you know? I'm playing in an all-girl band. I'm playing in a, you know, I'm watching a girl band. I'm listening to girl singers. I never thought about that kind of stuff. And if anything, I always related more to men. I don't know if it was just because of the music I listened to. I never really listened to much music that was fronted by women or had women musicians in it that was really impactful. It was always men. Mm -hmm. So my favorite guitar players were always guys. And I and I do think that because I was a young girl that I wasn't taken seriously, but I didn't to me that didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. It more bothered me that just I wasn't taken seriously as a guitar player period. Yeah. So it was really important for me to put in the time to sort of really get ahead of everyone else and To be that guitar player. That's what drove me, you know, is just to be. That's awesome. Be a good guitar player, and I, like, basically just locked myself in my bedroom at my parents' house, and.
0: Well, that's like the thing, and I, I, you know, and this one's now jumping ahead, but, uh, you know, that I think Teen Crud was just, you know, that's like, very few bands are that conceptually brilliant, like the fact that I, like, it was all planned out by you. You know, down to the point of, like, recruiting Nick and schooling him and making sure... that he, <laughs> Like, when he was on here, he talked about it. Like, you sent him to school. Like, you didn't want... You know, like, you you had a, a an idea. And that's, like, you know, I think that's... I, even if probably we asked Mike, he'd be... You know, he'd never copped to the Swarm being an influence in the same way. But I think uh-huh. he would definitely admit that Teen crud was an influence on Fucked Up and the way we did things. Where it was, like... You know, it's almost like the band concept. Yeah. Something you're building towards.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
0: Um, but so uh, I guess before Shuttlecocks break up, you guys, yeah, that's Seven Inch, right? The, the one I've now got a copy of. Yeah. That,
1: right? We did a Seven Inch with a band called the Heat Seekers, yeah. which was um, Cindy from Sucker Punch, mm-hmm. Sean from Sucker Punch, mm-hmm. and Brian Connolly from Shadowy Men. So those yeah. are basically like my two favorite local bands at the time, like break up and, you know, band together, and we wound up having. A 7-inch with them, which and, is so exciting.
0: And they did, like, a, a show at the Opera House, right? You did a show at the Opera House. It was the release, I think, of that, right?
1: The release party for that was at the Rivoli. The Rivoli. And I remember because they threw me out of the release party because I was rolling a joint in the back room. Whoa. Yeah. Threw me out. I was of like, this riff. is my record release party.
0: <sighs> really.
1: I snuck back in. It was fine.
0: Yeah, that was the first place that I ever went to in a ninety plus show when I was <laughs> underage. G <laughs> Christmas Party
1: nice yeah
0: random killing played
1: wow I wonder if I was there I think you
0: were probably was I remember you know we would go to shows and we would see you and Jamie mm-hmm. at the shows and, and cause like it's funny cause like it was during the The punk explosion. So there were a lot of kids my age around, or in our age around, but there were very few kids at these shows our age. So when you saw people, like, around your age, you'd be like, oh, who are these people? Definitely. Um, And then we were watching the Speed Kings video one day on TV. Yeah. And uh, you and Jamie are in
1: it. We are? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. You
0: run across, like, they can't. I guess they invade a club and they play on stage. I don't remember the thing, but we were watching. We were like,
1: those are those girls from the show. Oh, my
0: God. In this video. And then we found out about, I guess maybe we knew about Sucker Punch. And, and I mean, no, not Sucker Punch, sorry. Shuttlecocks before. But maybe not. And then we found out about Shuttlecocks afterwards. And then we saw you guys play, or you've play a bunch of shows. And then the Hockey Teeth final show. The last show. Yep. At the Elmo. Yep. And stuff like that. So Yeah. But that record was one of the first, my friend Simon Ennis had it, and it was one of the first local seven inches oh, wow. we ever got. Because no one was doing a seven inch back then. Yeah. There was that Hockey Teeth one, and then...
1: That's true. Stinkies there was, did one. Stink, uh, yes. I think this was, this was before the Stinkies, but yeah. Sucker Punch and Armed and Hammer did a split seven inch.
0: Sucker Punch and Armed and Hammer definitely did a split, but then Armed and Hammer also had, uh, Armed and Hammer like you know, a surprising amount of vinyl releases too. Yes. And then Hockey Teeth did that single as well. Mhm. But there is very few. Yeah. Very, very few. And then my friend Simon was always more into sort of garage rock and like uh cramps influenced stuff. So he he had that single and we we're wow. like, Oh, this is this local band. And cool. stuff like
1: that. It's awesome.
0: And then you guys also had that radio show.
1: Yeah. So, um and this is where this is where you and I kinda cross paths. Yeah. So I used to Listen to a radio show called Mods and Rockers in my bedroom, hosted by this guy, JC, who we know. Yep.
0: I think we can now say he's Jeff Cohen. Jeff Cohen. He's like publicly known. He's merged the two. Yeah. uh, The uh, alter ego and the regular.
1: I lived for that radio show. And Jeff would play a mix of things, you know, kind of like the Cramps, and then he'd play some like pop punk stuff, and then... You know, some like, well, I don't know that he got like too deep into like the early punk rock stuff, but he played some garage rock and stuff, which I loved That was kind of what I really liked about the show. But I loved listening to Jeff talk. I mean, he, the guy was literally like in between, like when a song was over, he was out of breath. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: No, like no one loves music in the way JC loves music. yeah And during that show.
1: Yeah. And, like, and it really came through, Yeah, you know, and it was so fun to listen to. And I remember just listening to it and just being like, I want to meet this guy. He just, sa- he just sounds f- like a fun, amazing person <laughs> to be around. And I just, he just had this energy that, you know, I, I need to meet this guy. Yeah. So I went down to CIUT and I just kind of, same thing. I just kind of worked my way in there and I, Jeff invited me to come, you know, sit in on a show. And I think that was where I saw you for the first time. Really? I walked into Jeff's show. I'm pretty sure.
0: I don't think so. Because I think you were involved with Jeff before I was. Like involved with the show. And then also working for Mm -hmm. ATG before I was. Really? Yeah. Because I remember, because there was a couple street reporters before me. Okay. Ed Fox was one of them. Mm -hmm. so um, but I think yeah because I remember I thought I was doing it around the time the Royal Crown CD came out and I remember it was like you would call the ATG machine and it would be like if you would like publicity about the Royal Crown CD Uh please press blah 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 for Allison's extension
1: right I guess maybe that was it I just have a vision of you in the in the room where Jeff was doing his show sitting in a chair at the table That was like behind the controls, and I was sitting there, and Jeff was just shirtless dancing. Yeah,
0: and sometimes pantsless. Oh
1: yes. For the speedo. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And I feel like I remember, just sitting there, not knowing like what to do. (laughs) Like, oh, this was this was better in my room. (laughs) Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely a very intense experience
1: live. But um, but I started, I started um. Volunteering at the radio station and then eventually, and then like working the controls for other people's radio yeah. shows, and then eventually working my way up, way up to trying to get my own show. Mm. And then I started filling in for mods and rockers occasionally, which was a big deal yeah. and terrifying. Yeah. And yeah, no,
0: that's, I definitely remember hearing you host Mods and Rockers too. So that was before I was in in the in the cut.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had no business doing that. Yeah. I was 17. <laughs> I did not know that much about music. I mean, I've got tapes of it. I'm terrified to even listen to. You guys played to. great
0: stuff though on on your
1: show. What was your show called? It was called Hell Yeah. Hell Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe like 6 months later, like a little time slot opened up at midnight on Thursdays, and I, my, my parents let me do this, which is insane. Yeah. And um, I brought Jamie with me because I just wanted to do it with her, and she wanted to do it, and I needed someone to talk to. I don't even know. I think we talked about The Simpsons a lot. We we're You know, we were still young. Yeah. And so that was how the whole CIUT thing happened.
0: I remember the first time I remember where we kind of met you guys was Anti-Flag, DBS, and Falling Sickness. Oh, when yeah. They were stranded in Toronto, yep. and they played the uh, Generator Club. Yep. And then they played the Hyper Club the second night, and we were hanging out with Anti-Flag, interviewing them for our zine. Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote. I'm doing air quotes because yep. it never came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had to leave because they were going to go do your guys' radio show. Right. And they went and did the radio show right from there. That's right. And it's funny cuz I just saw Anti-Flag. We played with them in Mexico a couple of weeks ago, and I brought this all up to them and they're like,
1: "Oh yeah." Yeah.
0: And then Jamie ended up joining the band.
1: Yep. She did. For... And I think it was I think it was that that time that they were here. Yeah. They were they were stranded. They were here for like a week.
0: They were here for like a week or two weeks even, because they played Spiderland Acres. Yep. Um, which is a podcast unto itself, Spiderland Acres, I think.
1: I have a mini anecdote about Spiderland (laughs) what is it so um, this is just jumping ahead like a tiny bit so in between actually no it kind of fits into where we're talking about so when the shuttlecocks broke up and before team crud combo started I was sort of like moonlighting in some bands just to sort of keep things going while I was trying to put a band together And I did a little bit of time in Armed and Hammered. Whoa. Yeah. I had no idea. I did. I did a little bit of time in Armed and Hammered. I think I was only there for, I think I only played like two shows with them, but I was so happy to be in that band. Yeah. And i also felt like it was some kind of like validation to like all those like assholes who were shitty to me in the shuttlecocks days. Absolutely. And that was also like, you know, I was starting to get my chops up at that time. So I could like, I could hold my own in this band and I loved their music. Yeah. You know? They were fantastic. They were so good. They were I always saw them as kinda like the like the Canadian poison idea. I was just gonna say
0: that's exactly what I would describe them as. I would say the, the Canadian poison idea, hundred yeah. percent. Like and uh, also Mopa ran CIUT.
1: He ran CIUT, yeah.
0: So I guess you were you wor- worked with them there too, yeah. right?
1: Yep. So we had a we had a re- relationship and then when I guess they were down one guitar player, he's like, You wanna j- join the band? I was just like, uh Yes. You like
0: let me get that bowling shirt.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so oh, anyways, man. my time in Armed and Hammered was sadly very short lived yeah. because there was an upcoming gig at Spiderland. <laughs> and when I was notified about this,
0: yeah, I'm out.
1: I was like I don't want Scabies. I have to I can't go to I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, Spider Land is something that also was coming up on the show. DBS tells when Jesse was on about when they played it and like <laughs> this like fully naked man just jumped on their windshield and oh like that was on. Oh brutal. <laughs> on their drive in.
1: Yeah. So there was some like I I had to actually quit the band to get out of that show because I couldn't get out of it otherwise. It yeah. was a, And it was a bummer. But Teen Crud was kind of just starting. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well, I could have this other thing that I could focus on. I was really sad to leave that band. But there was just no fucking way I was going to Spiderland. That was just not happening.
0: So I guess, like, how did Teen Crud... Did you have the idea for Teen Crud kind of right at the end of Shuttlecocks? Or was that something that you wanted to... Like, was that the type of band you wanted to do next type thing?
1: Um, n- after, after the Shuttlecocks ended, I was jamming with Mark who was my boyfriend at the time and the first drummer of Teen Crud, Mm -hmm. and Carson Binks, who was in the Deadly Snakes Mm -hmm. and the Killer Elite. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of doing like a, you know, birthday party Chrome Cranks type thing. That's what we wanted to do. Mark and I were really into all that kind of stuff. Who was the vocalist in that? We didn't have one. Okay. And we couldn't find one. And after, like, you know, five months of just kind of trying to find someone and just jamming, it just kind of fell apart. Yeah. And Teen Crud started out of that. And I think it was Mark turning me onto Motorhead that really Mark turned me onto a lot of really good punk rock. Yeah. That was different from what I was listening to when I was in the shuttlecocks because Rob Rob was really into like one kind of punk rock, yeah. which was, you know, the exploited and UK subs and conflict and mm-hmm. that whole scene. Kind of
0: the Toronto starter pack exactly. Of record type thing. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of that scene.
1: Yep. And then when i met mark mark was like angry Simones, bad brains black flag did
0: you know him from north toronto stuff cuz he lives he grew up in he went to northern right or
1: yeah but mark was 9 years older than me oh yeah yeah so i saw i I'd, I'd see mark around at shows yeah and he and i started hanging out because i had this mods and rockers show it was the first mods and rockers show that i had to fill in Okay. Jill Heath called me, and she said, Hey, uh, JC's going to be out of town, so we're going to need... And I'd never been on the air.
0: Well, was Jill Heath running CIUT? No
1: idea. Maybe... No, she wasn't. And I yeah. have no idea why the call came from her. Maybe Jeff asked Jill to fill in the show, and Jill couldn't do it, so Jill was calling me. This I don't like a know. like
0: Toronto mystery that you've given me. Like, yeah. what is Jill's involvement? I okay. don't
1: know. Oh. Maybe it was related to No Means No. Yeah. So... She said, you're going to fill in for Mods and Rockers, and um, you're going to interview No Means No. Um, about halfway through the show. And I said, Jill, I don't know who No Means No are. I've never heard of them. She goes, don't worry, you'll be fine. Goodbye.
0: I guess she was doing that show, right? Then we mess
1: with it. Maybe. Wow. Maybe. <laughs> so Mark, who I'd see around at all the shows, and I knew he worked at a record store. Yeah. And he and I just kind of had become friendly I walked up to him and I was like, do you know this band, No Means No? And he's like, yes, very, very well. And I said, I have to interview them in two days. I don't know anything about them. And he wrote me out like, you know, six sheets of questions. Yeah. And that was how I met Mark. That was kind of like how he and I got started as friends and, you know, being together for yeah.
0: a long time. So he would get like, but I guess you were playing Motorhead too in Armed and Hammered. Because right? you do Ace of Spades. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I met Mark when I was in the shuttlecocks. Yeah. Okay. So he oh, was okay. kind of turning me onto this stuff. So you were already
0: into that stuff by the time you were an Arm and Hammer.
1: Yeah. But something about Motorhead like really resonated with me, and then um, Zeke came around. Yeah. And that that was sort of like you know the n- new, it was like Motorhead on sp- on speed. Yep. If that makes any sense. Yeah.
0: No, I definitely agree. You yeah. know,
1: if as if there was somewhere further to go I feel like they took it further yeah yeah,
0: yeah. and also the Japanese bands I've always thought have that, that that's where the motorhead mm-hmm. influence meets the speed a lot of times too but you're right Zeke is that that guitar but just like a lightning speed
1: yeah I mean so <laughs> and the bass riffs oh I mean the, Zeke were so fast that the drummer was actually playing half time he was yeah. playing double time at half time yeah you know what I mean because you physically just can't even drum that fast <laughs> So, and I guess was Full Blast open by that point, too? Full Blast was open.
0: Did you have a shift there or whatever, or no? Uh,
1: I'd, like, I'd fill in for people.
0: Okay, yeah, I remember just being there a couple times. Yeah. When you go in there?
1: And I think I was working at Rotate at the time, too. Whoa. That was also part of my plan to just kind of be everywhere, get in, do everything. Yeah. You know, work at the record store you know have the radio show play in the band
0: your time at Rotate I can't I don't remember you working at Rotate yeah it was
1: short it was just a summer it was like in between like grades
0: okay yeah yeah I know that feeling yeah not working at Rotate though they never hired me never ever that's like the dream job that was like the dream gig
1: it was the dream gig but then once you got the gig you're like you know what it kind of was more fun just hanging out here yeah you know because you can buy the records that come in that you want you can't just take them anymore when you work there yeah it's true
0: can't do that. Yep. Um, where did you go? I guess so, like, where did the idea come from to do Teen Crud?
1: Well, I don't know that it really came from anywhere really specific.
0: Like, you? I guess, like, from this three-piece, did you find Nick at that point, or did you...
1: Yeah, so... I'm just trying to think where it went. So, the three-piece thing kind of fell apart. Carson left, and we decided... Let's just do a punk thing.
0: So, and is that the roots between the Killer Elite beef? Uh, <laughs> Carson leaving to be in... Maybe.
1: May, that was a little bit later. Okay. I think that was a little okay. bit later. So Mark and I uh, recruited um, his old bass player from the Knuckle Dusters, Jeff. Okay. Who he tried to sing... And we got Christine, who was the bass player in Rubber Girlfriend, mm-hmm. and this guy named Marky who played guitar in the Pin Ups. Remember the Pin Ups? Yeah, I remember the Pin Ups. They were kind of like the high fives. Yeah. You know, they wore like like skinny ties. Definitely and... like a
0: JC favorite yes, on Modern rock. totally.
1: So that was the first, the first incarnation of Team Crud. Okay. And so, you know, Jeff sang and it didn't really... Jeff wasn't into it. He didn't yeah. want to do it. That's kind of what it came down to. And I was like, well, I know two guys who do sing, one is Dave and one is Nick. And Nick, myself and Andrew and Jamie played a Battle of the bands for their high, one of their high school Battle of the bands. They had a band called Head Cleaner. Okay, yeah. and so yep. and <laughs>
0: Nick talked about, it, I think in his episode.
1: Yeah, we only played one song called Magical Shoe.
0: I don't think you talked about this show that you guys played Magical Shoe.
1: Yes, yeah, it was called Magical Shoe. It was <laughs> only one song. We just played it for the whole show. And, um, so I remembered Nick from that and I was like, God, Nick was like, Nick was really fun to play with and he's funny and he has no, um, he doesn't feel a boundary between himself and the crowd. Even, yeah. even at that show, he was like, you know, getting all up in people's faces and being really goofy and he yeah. just didn't care. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to call Nick. And I called Nick and he was like, yeah, let's do it.
0: But then you like trained him. He says when he was on the show that like, you like, you were like, okay, now you got to go to music school. Yeah. And you're like listen to these bands.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I basically like played Nick like what I you know what I wanted to do and yeah. you know the kind of music we wanted to play and you know Mark was a part of that at the time. Mm-hmm. just as far as like the direction goes. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember like sitting up in my room with Nick and just you know working on vocals with him. He like he'd write out really funny lyrics and I'd try to like fit them in in, in the music and stuff. Yeah so
0: did you is it true that you brought adam gill to shows or is that
1: i did bring adam to a show you did um yeah so I... that's like the
0: no warning connection too yeah
1: i guess so that might have been maybe that was that show is that what you mean
0: no no he, i don't know you he said he, i remember hearing you brought him to a show one time but i think he was younger
1: he was young yeah him and my brother were friends okay and i think i took him to a show the 360 or something oh really i, I think so that would have been i have no idea
0: I remember he showed up. He had a box of rare records. He had all these uh, time fly seven inches that you could only get in Virginia. Crazy. And it was like that it was it was like oh there's this kid and he's got all these rare seven inches. That
1: is crazy. Yeah, he was he was uh, he was like another Forest Hill kid at the time. Yeah. But his dad was you know part of like the live music scene, and so Adam was into music, and I was yeah. like, I'm going to take these guys to a show.
0: So that's that's amazing. So like I guess once T. Craig Card starts getting going. Like, mm-hmm. It was it like what was the first show actually?
1: The first show we played with it might have been with the Speed Kings, actually. Okay. It was at Ted's Wrecking Yard. Oh yeah. And um we didn't I think we were or what was the band that Greg Dick played in at the time? The Dirt Fuckers. The Dirt Fuckers. The, Dirt Fuckers. the Texas Dirt Fuckers. Texas
0: Dirt Fuckers, yeah. Th- that's I,
1: who we played with. That's right. We played with them. That was our first show.
0: And so was it like Was it confrontational right at the get-go? No. Was it, no?
1: No, no, I think we were just, we were just kind of, like, trying to figure it out, you know, and also with Christine and Marky in the band, I don't think the band, like, really had the personality that it did later on when Jamie came in. Yeah. So, you know, we, we just kind of went up there and, like, played, and it wasn't, as aggressive as it was at the very end. Yeah. You know, or t- maybe halfway through the band, it was kind of a little more like on the new bomb Turks tip.
0: Yeah. Okay. A little, yeah. You know, more playful,
1: more playful. Like I was, you know, I was playing like a strat.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Through a fender <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> with a distortion pedal. Yeah. Whereas like at the end I was playing like a Les Paul and I was just like, <laughs> you know, so, uh,
0: and so how long did that lineup stay together before Jamie does join?
1: <sighs> Not long. Um, maybe half a year, if that. So Jamie was coming back from Pittsburgh because the anti-flag thing, they had to let her go because it was too hard for them to have a Canadian citizen in the band. Yeah. And it was just causing problems for them.
0: I remember that was like when it was like, oh, fuck anti-flag then.
1: Totally. <laughs> remember that? Everyone in Toronto was oh, like, yeah. oh, fuck this band. Yeah. That's how Toronto is. It's basically yeah. just like, fuck these guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and and, and Jamie was bombed and I was just like, yeah. dude, it's going to be okay because you're going to join team Card combo and we're going to like be able to play music again together. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the beginning of like it being the band that it started to be. Yeah. You know? Cause I guess that's the thing is
0: like, you know, you always remember that Nick was aggressive, but Jamie was super aggressive on stage too. Yeah. And confrontational.
1: Well, Jamie, Jamie, like when we played together in the shuttlecocks, you know, she just, we, we just played. Yeah. But man, when she was in Anti Flag, I remember they played that, they played a show with the Elmo upstairs. It was the first time I'd seen her in the band. Yeah. And she was just, she blew my mind. Yeah. She was so good. Down by Law, that one? Yes. Yep.
0: And Ewan was roadieing for them. Ewan Excel. I
1: kind (laughs) of vaguely remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Down by Law, that's right.
0: And I think actually the roadie for Down by Law on that show is that dude, Rob who's the lead singer of that band, The Transplants. Like, you know, that big...
1: Yeah! He
0: was the roadie for Down By Law on that tour. Crazy. Yeah. That's really funny. But, oh, yeah, I was at that show, too. Yeah, she was, like... That was the thing, is, like, you know, you had obviously been, you know, sharpening your skills on guitar, and then she came back as this, like, road warrior. She
1: was incredible. Yeah. She was incredible. And, like, Anti-Flag worked hard. Yeah. Worked hard. And it really showed when... I mean, Jamie was just, like, a completely different musician when she came back. Well, yeah,
0: and also because Anti-Flag, when you think about when they played that time when they did the radio show with you and Jamie, I guess, ultimately wound up joining them, Mm -hmm. they were, like... They were just, like, figuring it out live, but then they became a real band Mm -hmm. during that period that she was in that band. Totally. I remember seeing... I think the best time I ever saw them was with No Use for a Name at... uh, What was the one on Spadina that had multiple... Club Shanghai.
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: she was just... They were just, like, incredible that that night.
1: I have really good pictures from that show. Yeah. People going crazy. Crazy. Yeah,
0: people going crazy. Ewan got me to do stage security and never paid me. Ah! Ever. I remember some kid with dreadlocks whipping him in my face repeatedly.
1: (laughs) These are the things you never forget. Never
0: forget. Never forgive, never forget. Nope. Um, But, yeah, so you guys, I guess, came back together, and it was kind of magic i guess
1: it was yeah. it was it definitely like the it kind of changed the whole rhythm section and then marky um the who was the second guitar player was kind of like he just he lost interest or there was other things going on in his life mm-hmm. and he was like you know i just i'm not going to do this anymore so mark got one of his friends um matt and who became known as matt hutch and i don't even know his real last name <laughs> i think he's on like he's just known now to to he introduces himself as Matt Hutch. Okay. Uh, by the way, that is a name that Nick gave him. Okay, really. Just because Hutch just sounds. That's just funny. out of nowhere. <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> Jamie was Jamie Zebra. <laughs> Matt was Matt Hutch.
0: Yeah, I guess Nick also was finding his voice as like a a front person at that point. Like he really, really kind of grew into what he would become. Yeah. When when that when I guess everything kind of clicked. Because I guess I had seen you. With the other lineup, but it's really that kind of four-piece, five-piece, well, I guess four-piece lineup where it was, like, super teen crud.
1: Yes, very much.
0: <laughs> so, what with that lineup, when you guys played the Swarm comeback show, the 360 Club,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, was that with the five-piece or was that the four-piece by that point?
1: That was, well, we were always a five-piece because oh, well, five piece. When, yeah. when Matt... When Matt joined, it was right when Marky was leaving. Yeah,
0: okay, that's right.
1: Um, so I can't remember which lineup, but I'm sure it was probably the one with Matt. Yeah. But there was one more lineup change that happened down the road that oh, like I really remember. completed.
0: Oh, I remember. That was just. You got you got Bubby. We got we got Bubby. You got you got the guy that told the world that we don't lock our doors in Canada.
1: That's right. In boiling yep. for
0: Columbine. Yep.
1: Yep. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so like I guess yeah, Bubby joined Mm -hmm. and it's like the hype was crazy. Like I remember there was a Canadian music week that you guys stole the whole thing.
1: That was yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I mean Ryan Ryan slash Bubby, he was the guy I mean, when he came on, we were like a machine. Yeah. I mean, his drumming with like with Jamie on bass and, 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 and at this point, you know, Nick had gotten really comfortable as a front person, and we had also kind of like taken on this funny, like little attitude. Mm-hmm. And that's when Nick started really getting in people's faces and just not caring.
0: Yeah. You well, know, it's just like so un Toronto. Like, everyone in Toronto thinks they're in the best band, but never says anything. It's very rare that you have a band brag about being the best band in Toronto or like really try and carry themselves like they're the best band in Toronto. Uh-huh. Or like the best band in Toronto. Yeah. And that was like teen crud.
1: Yeah, we felt that we were. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> we really did.
0: And you kinda were. Like that's the thing. And like in retrospect, it's like, oh shit, they were right. <laughs> you know?
1: Well, it was it was more just like the way that we felt about it was almost like like by default. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like we just we felt like what other people we're doing around and not everyone, but like there was like bands that we felt were inauthentic and we were just so authentic (laughs) and that's kind of where it came from. It was just this weird confidence. But I think it was also the fact that like we really, really worked hard as musicians to get good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and we really tried to bring it live.
0: Yeah. That was the other thing. It was like the live show was crazy. Yeah, I remember that was that one. Do you, was your last show also at a Canadian Music Week?
1: No, our last show, our last show was at the Alma Combo, and it was our seven inch release party. That was okay. our last
0: show. Okay, upstairs. Yeah, but there was also that time, the time that we had that crazy party, where you gave me the ride home afterwards.
1: Oh, Mary Margaret O'Hara.
0: Mary Margaret O'Hara's house. Yeah. <laughs> with Dave Foley.
1: Yeah, Dave Foley and the guy from. What was that band called? They were a Cleveland band. Swearing at Motorists. Swearing at Motorists. Yeah. Smoking out of the apple. Yeah, I
0: still see Dave from Swearing at Motorists. He he lives in Berlin. He just sounded a venue and we played it. And I'm like, do you remember? You smoked weed out of the apple? And he's like, yeah. And we were all blown away because we'd never seen that. (laughs) And then Dave Foley was there. And what a night. Dan Burke.
1: Oh my god! That night was crazy. Was such a crazy night. Nick and I started calling ourselves the Toxic Twins after that night because we just went to a, we went to a late night party once, <laughs> and we decided that that's what we just wanted to. <laughs> that's what we were at that. Point. That
0: was a like for my standards. That was the craziest party I'd ever been to. Me too. I still look back on that. And it was like. I think that was really wild. Yeah, I think that legitimately was still
1: wild. It was. It felt like it was out of a movie. It felt like it was
0: out of a movie. Yeah, it really did. Like in this beautiful house, and where was it? Like Rosedale or something. Something or like, like that. Yorkdale, but
1: oh yeah. my yeah. And everyone was just out of their minds. Out of their minds. Yeah, and I remember Dave Foley was talking to Nick, and Nick was telling him that he played in a band, and he's like, "What's your band's name?" And he's like, "Teen Crud Combo." <laughs> And Dave Foley's like, that is the worst name. <laughs>
0: yeah. And Nick had the yak back and was recording Dave Foley and then playing it back. Oh,
1: yeah, right. And
0: he's all fucked up. He so was on Mushrooms. He, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And I think, allegedly, he might have been hanging out with the woman who is also in Brain Candy, who's like, oh, Uncle, you're here to see Uncle blah, 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 when she opens the door. Right. I think.
1: That's a classic. If
0: I remember correctly. But that was quite the night. It was, yeah. <laughs> is it true that the... Uh, I've heard that the teen crud combo deadly snakes beef started because they were pushing an amp through the snow and you and Mark drove by in a car and slowed down and laughed at them?
1: Uh, that probably happened like during the beef. Okay, during the beef. Yeah, that was something we would do during the beef. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what are the origins of the beef? <laughs> so, Okay. I think everyone kind of has like a different story about yeah. it, but um, so the Dirt Bombs were playing on my radio show, Okay. and I was making a flyer for the Dirt Bombs on the radio show, and I also had like... They are really doing
0: a live session on the radio show? They did, yeah. In the basement, I guess, at CIT? Mm-hmm. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. I, never, I never even knew that people I were doing am, live sessions.
1: I am the only one that has the tape, but I'm supposed to... Do you know Ben Blackwell? Yeah, yeah, supposed to, uh, like He's a, been on the show. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I'm supposed to give this tape to Ben, because Ben is like the... He's like the, the archivist. archivist. Yeah. So yeah, I need to give it to him, and then I'm sure it'll probably be out in the universe. Yeah. But wow. they did. Yeah, they played... Um, they stayed at my parents' house, and they played with the Deadly Snakes, and I think Danko Jones. So... I took it upon myself to make the flyer because I love making flyers. Yeah. I still do. All those bands played on the radio show? No, okay. that that was like a separate show. Okay, okay. I think yeah. it's the Elmo combo. The okay,
0: the Elmo. yeah. I think I've seen the flyer for that one.
1: Yeah, so the flyer was what got me into trouble. Yeah. That was the be- beginning of the beef. So, um, at least in my eyes. So, the Deadly Snakes were on first and I think Danko was on second and Dirt Bomb's Headline. So, you know... In such an order, I made the names on the flyer from small to big. So then I had heard that um, someone in the band felt that I had made their name very small on purpose (laughs) in an effort to ruin them or take them down. And that was where the beef began. And I, you know, I mean, I was just making a flyer. But whatever, anyway. So then, it it was like I kind of felt this, like you know, strong dislike coming from them. They probably have a different version of okay. the story, but that that that's my version of the story. And then I think was
0: Carson still in the band at this point? Or yeah, no?
1: Carson was still in the band, okay. and you know, I had two really good friends in the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other people in the band, I didn't get along with at the time. And um, you know, we. I think it was fun for us to sort of have this rivalry. I think it like stoked us yeah. as a band. It, it it gave us like, it gave us like e- energy and motivation. And
0: cause there were like the three bands that you beef with them, uh, Robin Black and the intergalactic rock stars. Yep. And then, uh, Killer Elite, right?
1: We never beef with Killer Elite.
0: Really? Killer
1: Elite beefed with the Deadly Snakes. Oh,
0: okay. But I remember there was some, I thought there was some weirdness. I guess Nick was in both bands. Yeah. So there can't be any weirdness. Yeah, no, we that were on, we were on Deadly the same Snakes. team.
1: We were on the same That's team. That's what
0: I'm confusing with the Deadly Snakes beef with them. So yeah. So just the two bands that you guys beefed
1: with. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, somewhere in the late 90s like all of a sudden out of nowhere there was this glam scene and we didn't like it so we tried to take the glam <laughs> scene down. Yeah. <laughs> We tried to single-handedly take down an entire scene of music. So we would rehearse in the same, you know... Robin Black and the Intergalactic Rockstars, they were sort of like, you know, spearheading this glam movement. Yeah,
0: it would be them cheerleader.
1: Them, yeah, cheerleader.
0: Which is now Crystal Castles.
1: Yep. Um, there was another one that Starboy... Remember Starboy?
0: Riot, Riotstar. R-
1: was that what they were called?
0: I think they were called Riot Star, weren't they? And okay. it was like Starboy from... Robin Black and the Intergalactic Rock Stars played guitar in it.
1: Oh, like, Starboy was in Robin Black.
0: Yeah. That's but, what it was. And okay. then I think he also played in Riot Star. Okay. Two from Hamilton.
1: Right. Or something. Yeah, like yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So, anyways, like we were just really um immature about it and it was fun for us. So they would practice like across um the hall from us. So I remember we would like, you know, take a piece of paper and like sit around it with like a pen giggling, just like drawing like, you know, very Uh, obscene pictures and then sliding it under their door while they were practicing. I
0: remember in your practice space and it was Jamie had a porno magazine and took out a very graphic picture and wrote us and then you (laughs) (laughs) and then slid that. Yeah, we used to do
1: that all the time. We'd slide things under the door like enough Enough times to the point where like he knocked on our door and was just like, "Can you guys please like just if you have a problem with us, can you just like knock on the door and talk to us?" And I think we were all just like silent. We didn't know what to do, but we just like to be very immature about it. Like we, we would get on the bills that they were playing and we'd wear t shirts that have like a lipstick with a circle around it with a big slash through it. And
0: <laughs> it's funny though now because like I tell I told Nick when he was on the show I'm like. You know, he's like a legit MMA... That's what he does now. He's the yes. be an analyst for MMA. It's like, he was fucking tough. Like, you know, Deadly Snakes? It's a fight you can win. Yeah. Robin Black? That's the one I don't want to have to fight with. No.
1: <laughs> no. But I don't know. You know, we just... We were, we were just young and... Naive and kind of, you know, there's fearlessness but, that comes with that, and no one was doing it. It
0: was at a time where, like, you know, no warning. I think would also eventually be kind of do the same thing in Toronto on yeah. a on a in a different kind of scene too. Yeah. But yeah, it was just crazy. But like, why didn't you know? Given the hype, Teen Crud had, um, you know, and I remember we talked about that. There was a Vice interview too around that time. Why did it? Why did it not go anywhere? Why did you not try touring it more? Was there any? <sighs> Any
1: thought of doing that or? Definitely. Definitely. So the beginning of what felt like things starting to move for us was we played a show with the candy snatchers at mm-hmm. the Elma combo. And there was this guy who was with them on the road named bump. And he ran a label called black lung. So,
0: which is a really cool label at the time. right? Yeah, it Did was
1: the hook, the hookers. Hookers. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it was mostly a seven inch label. Yeah. Um, I think Zeke might have even done something on Black yeah. at the time. So for me, it was just very, like, legit. Yeah. So after we played, Bump came up to us and was like, hey, I want to do a single f- with you guys. And we were just... We couldn't believe it. An American <laughs> label. You know? I mean, we just... This is it. You know? We've made it. Yeah. So we did the single with them and then
0: you handed the cover you like put that thing together the teen crowd rhinestone thing right yep
1: yep glued it yeah with rhinestones esther took the picture and nick sewell laid it out that's awesome and um and then yeah it was kind of time to like try to tour we also went back we went into the studio um with hollow music and we recorded a record that never it, it became judgment night soundtrack part two yeah we were supposed to release it at the time, but it just never came out. There was a guy who had put out a Danko Jones Danko Jones first record and he was gonna do our record, but it just kind of I wound up moving and it fell apart. Yeah, okay. So there was it was time to, you know, try to do some touring or go out of town. And we had played Ottawa, we played Montreal and but we had never gone into the States and for me that was something that I needed to do and mm-hmm. I needed to start doing it. And no one in the band really felt strongly about touring in in the same way that I did. Um, Mm. Jamie definitely had her fill of it. So I don't think it was something that she felt like she, you know, needed to achieve at that point. And there was also, you know, she just didn't have a strong desire to go on the road. And she also knew what it was like in a way that I didn't, Um, you know, financially, we just couldn't get it together. It just, it didn't, it just didn't happen. So we wound up piecing together like a little string of dates with that band the Chargers from um, from Cleveland okay I don't remember that they're called like the Chargers something something okay and um, and all the dates like fell apart except for one in Youngstown Ohio (laughs) and I was so I was so like deflated yeah and no one no one in the band like really I feel like I was kind of like the only one who was really pushing for this to happen and I I literally felt myself pushing the weight of like, you know, five people to do this thing that only one person really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I knew that it wasn't. This wasn't going to be the band that I was going to be able to do that kind of stuff with. And it was very sad for me because I loved playing in that band, and it's still my favorite. My favorite band I've ever played in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it just there was only so far that the band could go. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of. You know, that was really... The reality. Yeah. And then at that point, I just knew, well, I can stay here and, you know, keep going with Teen Cry Combo and know that we have these, you know, real serious limitations that wasn't what I wanted to experience, Mm -hmm. or I could just kind of like, you know break up the band, basically, and just kind of go off and try something on my own and see what happens and, like, move to the States and, you know, Mm -hmm. go from there and see if I can get going what I wanted to have get going with Teen Crud. Yeah.
0: It's funny because, like, it's like the scene in Toronto at the time. Like, you guys existed in two worlds. Mm -hmm. One was, like, that mainstream kind of Canadian Toronto music industry kind of thing, but yep. then also there's this, like, punk world, hardcore kind of scene that was kind of happening that I was a part of at the time. Yeah. But it's, like, people weren't really smart enough in that scene to get you guys. Yeah. Yet.
1: It was, it was, it felt similar to, like, the whole shuttlecocks in the Kensington punk scene. Yeah. So Jamie, and Jamie was, like, our, you know, she was our, our ticket into that world. That because, world this time, yeah. Well, she, she worked at Who's Emma? Yeah. And she played in Countdown to Oblivion. Mm-hmm. She played in Ruination. Mm-hmm. So we would play but shows with those guys. But it was all ruination right? Oh, that's right. It yeah. was. It was. But, but Countdown yeah, no, to Oblivion was, like, was going. Yeah, definitely. But she was like, you know, and she was starting to get into all that stuff. Yeah. And so we got, we kind of found that we, in a way, and also with Ryan slash Bubby in the band, yeah. Yeah. we kind of fit more musically with those types of bands, although we didn't have kind of the same...
0: Those bands at that point, that was, like, still, like, the height of the youth crew yep. era. Yeah. It was, like... It was kind of, like, people were beginning to be into, like, like punk and the idea of, like, being into good punk and, like, finding good old bands. Yes. But, like, not in any sort of great way like they would be a couple years later.
1: Yes. I Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, too, is... That we were, there was, you know, there's politics in that scene, mm-hmm. and we were very on PC. You know, I mean, if you read our lyrics, they're bad. Well, and Nick had
0: songs about wrestling at a time when people didn't really have songs about wrestling.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just, we we just, yeah. we didn't care. You know, yeah. we just, we didn't care.
0: And, well, I was like, tell you, Nick smoking weed before that show at a time when, like, this Fucking dude smoking weed at a yeah. hardcore show? Like, Yeah. What is, now it's like, I feel, well, now it'd be like, where's that guy at?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think, I just think that like we got off on offending people uh-huh. and bothering people and annoying people. For us, that was amusing. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I don't know why. Maybe just because we were young and we were bored. I think yeah. that's probably what it was. But there were a lot of, you know, that whole scene was like a little bit more serious. So it was, I think they, I think they, I think we kind of got along, but we always felt maybe a little bit out of place. Mm-hmm. But for me, it always kind of felt like a good place for us to be because musically it was a little more on par mm-hmm. with, you know, maybe. We were
0: playing fast.
1: We were playing really fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But like.
0: But was there ever any like interest from that major label side of the Canadian music industry to kinda do stuff? Because you guys were always like the toast of all those industry showcase type <sighs> things they'd have.
1: No idea why. <laughs> but no, and no no, no, never not really. You know, we yeah. we we kind of existed in that also in that like rock and roll
0: yeah. world a yeah. little bit too. Yeah, like the Elma combo horseshoe kind of yep.
1: rock world. Yeah. yeah. You know, with like the Deadly Snakes yeah. and the Spacious and the Stinkies mm-hmm. and the Speed Kings mm-hmm. and all those types of bands. But, you know, it felt like there was kind of an expiry date on that group of bands. Not bands, but I would say that scene. Like it it didn't feel like there were young people coming into it or new people. Mm-hmm. But in the hardcore scene, it did. Yeah. You know? Yeah,
0: there were always young kids coming in mm-hmm. and stuff. And mm-hmm. especially at that time. Yeah. It's like a big crossover influx period for like the Toronto scene. Yeah. But, like, and actually, the band I want to talk about was the Deadly Snakes, because that's like another band that, you know, has come up a lot in this show, and they stayed at your house famously with Anti Flag, and was it the Planet Smashers, too?
1: Supposedly the Planet Smashers were there. It was the the Space
0: Shits. Oh, the Space Shits, sorry, that's what I meant. Did I say Deadly Snakes? Yeah. Oh, I meant to say, sorry.
1: Space Shits, Deadly Snakes, or Space Shits, Anti Flag, and maybe the Planet Smashers. Maybe the Planet Smashers. Yeah, but those. That, that talk about beef. Those guys did not get along. No, they were on opposite ends of the house.
0: No, the Spaceships and the Anti Flag beef no. lives on yeah. to this day.
1: Yeah,
0: a legendary beef. Yeah, they
1: did. But like you it know, along. I can see both sides. Yeah, me too. Absolutely.
0: You know, you're touring. You're asleep. Yep. Last thing you want is someone jumping on top of you.
1: The Spaceships guys, I love them, and to this day still do, and they're good friends but they were so out of control like yeah. even in a way that you know in a way that was like amusing for me and fun for me but like you know at my parents house it's like okay dude take it down a notch <laughs> but I think my parents were out of town during that particular stay
0: it's so funny to think that like like those scenes met up at some point like mm-hmm. those worlds all intersected I guess like the I guess the spaceships and the Plant Smash would probably interact a fair bit in Montreal in some capacity. Sure, but like still, it's just like you do, They all seem so disparate. I know from one another. I know. Was was there? Um, I guess ever any other interest from bigger labels in the states for Teen Crud?
1: No, not really.
0: It was kind of before. I guess that scene really got going again in a big way in America too.
1: Yeah, and I don't know that there. It it was for sure, and I I I knew. I didn't know how to like access any of those labels mm-hmm. or get, get stuff over to those people. So I remember like one thing in particular was we had a team Craig combo tape. I think it was even before the seven inch and I've
0: never seen that tape.
1: I've got it at home. Whoa. Is yeah. that, is
0: that also got what's on
1: it? It's got like the early stuff, oh. the really early oh. stuff. And then all these dwarves covers. What? Yeah. I'll dub it for you and to I got to hear it. To it. I got to hear it. So, yeah, I think that stuff was from, like, 98, maybe. Wow, okay. So, um, so Jamie and I and maybe Mark drove to Detroit to see Zeke. Mm-hmm. Something we would do on the regular whenever there was, like, a really good band playing that couldn't get over the border.
0: And there were a lot of that time, it felt mm-hmm. like, that would just play, yeah, Detroit or Buffalo and then Yeah,
1: not. yeah so we did that a lot. And so Z- Zeke played this one particular time and I brought a Teen Crud tape with me and I was just like, I'm going to give this to the singer. So I gave the tape to the singer. He barely said anything to me. I was like, kind of walked away like, God, oh, this guy must think I'm like the worst and, you know, kind of just feeling like an idiot. And maybe like a month later, I came home from, I don't know, I came home still living with my parents and there was a note, downstairs on the kitchen table that was that my mother wrote that was like ow mark from zeke called and there was left his phone number on and you know it was like a seattle phone number and i was so excited that i literally ate the message i <laughs> crumpled it up and I, chew, I chewed it up and swallowed it but i wrote the number down on another piece of paper thank god yeah i had to consume it i was so yeah. i was so excited yeah, you had to have that forever exactly yeah i ate it <laughs> Message. But yeah, like, you know, so, and, you know, and, and Mark and I talked on the phone and I was just like, do you know anyone who would want to put this out? And he got me in touch with a guy named, um, Caton, who ran Junk Records, who is the singer from Hyrax. Oh, whoa. Yeah, Katen DePena. Yeah. He ran Junk Records? What an
0: interesting life that guy's had in music. Y-
1: yes. And Katen is how I got into the States because... Kaden wrote me a letter on, you know, Junk Records stationery, saying Alison Baker, you know, is playing in this band and give her a P2 visa. And that was how I, that was how I got my visa That's to get into the visa. States. Yeah. Whoa. Thanks, Kaden.
0: Wow, that's awesome. <laughs>
1: but but anyway, so I would bug Caten to put our record out, and he was just like, yeah, you guys aren't quite there yet. You know, like, just keep working on what you're doing, and, you know, you need to build a little more. And we did. No one knew who we were, and we yeah. couldn't tour. Yeah. And there was no way for people outside of Toronto to hear us unless I feel like I was physically pushing our stuff onto people, and I just, yeah, it was I like think really I gave hard. up before that could even happen. hmm so, because mm-hmm. I knew I was going to leave because I knew the band would never tour. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of what happened.
0: Well, we could talk way more, but we've talked for like an hour and a half. <laughs> oh my God. So, Allison, thank you so much for coming on. Could please come back for a part two some point. We oh we'll God. talk about when you move to San Francisco and like the whole Dirty Ghost and a like whole other side of your life that begins at this point. But yeah. uh, this has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for finally making this happen. Woo. Thank you, Allison, for coming on the show. And Allison hopefully will be back for a part two and a part three. Maybe get her on with Nick. Uh, you know, hopefully get Jamie Towns on the show at some point because that would be incredible too. But anyway, I am so happy I finally got to do that because um, that was one. Whew, that feels like a, a major one off the list of people that I had wanted to have on this show. So, you know, that's like an accomplishment for me. And it's all before episode 100. Oh my gosh. Oh, we're gonna have a lot of fun on footnotes with today's episode. I promise you that I promise you that I also promise you that we will be back next week with something really special. As I just mentioned, we are coming dangerously close to episode 100. I have something really neat and really self-indulgent plan for that, but that is not next week. Next week, Before we get to that point, something equally monumental for this show, we will be airing on Turned Out of Punk, the lost Turned Out of Punk episode. That's right. Uh, Years ago, (laughs) I I mean literally almost two years ago now, I recorded an episode as one of the first run of Turned Out of Punk episodes that I did with Lance Bangs, and now... This episode, I I never aired. It never got aired for a bunch of reasons. I'll go into all of that next week. But you know, Lance and I talked about it, and now it's finally going to come out. So that is next week on the show. The lost Lance Bangs turned out a punk. It is a good one, folks. I promise you that. Woo! Well, thank you everyone for listening. This has been a great show. Uh, You know, I'm not saying that because I made it. I mean, I'm saying it's been a great show because I've had a good time. And I hope you've had a good time too. Remember, you can always find me on various forms of social media at left L E F T F O R D A M I A N. uh, Or you can find me at DamienAbraham.com or you can find me at Turned out of punk uh, on Facebook or on Tumblr or, you know, all sorts of that sort of stuff. So uh, that's it for now. Thank you everyone for listening. remember, Anyone can do this shit. Go out there and make
1: your own culture. Love ya. Bye.